The Hill Talks, a podcast by The Hilltop. Hello, hello. I'm Juan Ben Jr., your host, bringing you three stories you need to know, coming from the nation's oldest black collegiate newspaper. This week, a Howard-born jazz band returns to the stage. We do a third-quarter check-in with the men's basketball team and one of our columnists on why college students should care about the Federal Reserve. So, without further ado, let's get into it. A little over 50 years ago, a jazz studies professor selected a group of students to form a band on Howard's campus and called it the Blackbirds. The group performed at Howard Theater a few weeks ago, and Afia Bari, Hilltop Variety reporter, was there to take it all in. Afia, can you describe what the concert was like you know, what were the lights like? Who was in the crowd? What was just the overall vibe? The main thing I noticed was the crowd was so vibrant. It was made up of a lot of different demographics. The majority of the crowd was a lot of older people who were like DC natives or Howard alumni. There were a lot of people who just loved music and you could tell were jazz fans. Longtime fans, they would yell out like Blackbirds or like Rock Creek Park randomly throughout the show. And there were also a lot of people that seemed to like stumble upon the concert. Now, the group started during a pretty contentious time on Howard's campus. I wonder if you can speak a bit about the climate at the university that the group was born into or maybe out of. I actually came up with that question during the show. Donald Byrd's son, Donald Byrd III, actually introduced the show and kind of gave a bit of history. And while he was talking, I was like, the founding of the Jazz Studies Department coincides with the 1968 protests where um, over 2,000 Howard students took over the A building and kind of demanded more Afrocentric courses and things like that. So I asked him that question. He actually was not sure. So, you know, journalist brain turned on, started doing my research. I went to the Hilltop archives and we had a lot to say regarding the Jazz Studies Department. Um, there's actually an article talking about how after the founding of the Jazz Studies Department, Donald Byrd and a few other musicians on campus actually held like a jazz studies concert and it aired on, I believe, NBC or something like that to kind of show that, you know, we're a legitimate program. We're here to stay. Um, It kind of started because for a long time, Howard had this respectability politics thing towards jazz. For a long time, jazz was looked down upon as kind of the way hip hop was looked down upon when it first came out. Jazz isn't structured. Most jazz is freeform. It doesn't follow the rules of classical music and it's black. Jazz is black. So it was looked down upon for a long, long time. And Howard kind of fell into that. Keith Kilgo was telling me you weren't allowed to play jazz in the practice rooms. If they heard you playing jazz in the practice rooms, you would get in trouble. So Donald Byrd, he's one of the greatest jazz trumpeters of all time. So when he came to Howard, he was like, this doesn't make any sense. We're a Black school. We should be learning Black music. There's nothing wrong with Black music. He wanted jazz to be seen as a legitimate art form. So one of the solutions to the 1968 protests, along with the founding of the Africana Studies Department, along with more Afrocentric courses being included in all majors, the Jazz Study Department was founded. Another way to sort of prove all the people wrong at Howard that were speaking ill of jazz or anything is also to win awards. I wonder if you can just go through the list of some of the accolades that the Blackbirds has um, accrued over the years. Yeah, Grammy nominated, 
their first two or three albums have gone gold, which is over 500,000 copies sold, which is a huge deal for a student band. They were regularly charted on the Billboard's R&B charts, and Rock Creek Park has kind of become like a, a DC classic. When you look up Rock Creek Park, their song pops up, so it's become an official anthem. So they've kind of cemented their place in DC's history, not just Howard history, but DC's history. And then in larger musical history, this is a band that performed with Richard Pryor. They opened for Gladys Knight in the pit. They performed with Sister Sledge. One of the keyboardists, I'm forgetting his name, he said he was approached by Keith to play in the band. He was like, I've never heard of the Blackbirds. Then he played Rock Creek Park and he was like, oh my God, I know this song from GTA, San Andreas, the video game. That's where he heard Rock Creek Park. That's where he knew their music from. So their music has continued to go on. They've been sampled like over 300 times or something. Artists like Tupac, MF Doom, Wiz Khalifa. I think Queen Latifah sampled one of their songs. So it's really, really cool to see that they don't just have the acclaim, but they have a place in musical history and the Blackbirds legacy is probably going to keep continuing on for as long as people keep choosing to sample their songs and place them in these things. And this is a band that was first made up of a professor and some students at Howard. Um, so thank you so much, Afia, for coming to speak with me about this. I really appreciate it. Of course, of course. Thank you for having me. Bison men's basketball team has 11 games left until the Mid-Eastern Athletic Conference, or MEAC tournament, in March, a feat that they won last year. However, their 8-13 record this season doesn't appear to be in their favor. Here to talk with me about it and why we shouldn't count the Bison out is Jeffrey Jones, sports reporter at the Hilltop. Jeffrey, thank you so much for joining me today. It's no problem. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Of course. What are you seeing on the court that's working in the team's favor? So the main thing that I've been seeing on the court that's working on their favor so far is definitely got to be three-point shooting. Uh, three-point shooting is was a big part of their run last year. And this season, even though it's a lot of new players on the roster, they're continuing their same speed from three-point last three-pointer this season they have Seth Towns and Marcus Dockery who are the two best three-point shooters in the league they're shooting at the highest percentage in the entire MEAC so that's definitely been helpful and it's the main thing that's going right and offense as a whole has been going right you know they've been moving the ball well they've been attacking the rim so offense is the best thing that they have been doing well this season at the most consistent level. And what are some of their biggest struggles? So on the opposite side, it's definitely got to be defense. They aren't a bad defensive team, and they defend really well individually. But as team defense, they've definitely been lacking. They struggle to create turnovers. They just haven't been able to force a lot of fast break opportunities on their offense. They haven't been able to stop a lot of people. You know, they rank in the bottom of the league in steals and blocks and points allowed per game. So they really just haven't been able to do as well on the defensive side of the ball. Eight wins and 13 losses doesn't look too good for the Bison, but you argue that it's too early to count them out. Have we seen the team in a similar predicament before where they didn't have the best season early on, but ended up finding success? Yeah, absolutely. So that's exactly how the team worked last season. They didn't do too well at the start of last season, either before they went on to become MEAC champions, but the good thing about the MEAC is at the bottom of your schedule is where you get a lot of your conference play. So with this final 11 games, their schedule is filled with conference opponents, so they really have the chance to move their ranking up. And they did that last season with winning nine of their last 11 games. So I really think that this team, they have the talent, they have the skill set, they're coached well, so they have the same ability to win the rest of their games this season, and we can possibly see them hosting the MEAC tournament again to a point where we can see them sweep out the conference. 
were these same issues that the team has with their defense and maybe the advantages that they have with their offense, were these the same issues and advantages that they had last year that got them to the conference or did they face a different set of challenges? Absolutely. So they were definitely had a lot of the same challenges last year in different ways because last season, I think that their main challenge on defense was really just not being able to match up with all broad defenders. But this season, it's we're kind of seeing that they have a problem with size. They're undersized in one through five. So yes, I would say that they had the same problems, but it's just coming in a different shape and a different size. So given your reporting, what does the team need to do in order to return to the NCAA championships and possibly defend their win at the MEAC tournament this year? The main thing that the team is going to need to do is be consistent. We just haven't seen them be consistent enough this year. And we've seen times where they've been really good defenders. And we've seen times where they've done really well beyond the arc shooting three-pointers. But they just have to do that collectively as a whole every game. It can't just be a one-off thing on a night. Every day, they're going to have to bring their best foot forward. They're going to have to be the best version of themselves on defense and the best version of themselves on offense. There's no more trading off. If you want to play championship basketball, you have to put your best foot forward and you have to be the best version of yourself every night. Thank you, Jeffrey, so much for for joining me today. No problem. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Shreya Gotham is a columnist at the Hilltop. Her latest column details why college students should care about economic policy, but specifically inflation and the Federal Reserve. Shreya, thank you for joining me today. Thank you for having me. All right. So in your piece, you write that there is an intricate interconnection between inflation, the Federal Reserve, and college students. And I wonder if we can just spend some time breaking that down and explaining this connection to our listeners. Let's start with inflation. Can you tell me exactly what it is and how it shows up in our economy? I'm sure uh, I'd be happy to. So inflation is basically the rate with which prices of goods and services rise. Imagine that you're going out with $1 in your pocket, right? 10 years ago, you could maybe get a soda, maybe get some candy with that $1. Now you can barely buy a soda with $1, right? It just reduces the purchasing power of the $1 that you have. What about the Federal Reserve? So the Federal Reserve is the central banking system of the U.S. And it basically controls the money supply, the monetary policy, the interest rates in the country. It has three main goals, one of them being to maximize employment, to keep the prices stable, and then to keep long-term interest rates stable as well, so that we have an economy that is stable and running smoothly, and there's a good circulation of money going all around. There's no overspending, there's no overborrowing happening. And you mentioned there, one of the goals of the Federal Reserve is to keep prices stable. And this is, mm-hmm. you know, what inflation is. It's it's an instability of prices. So what are some of the things that the Federal Reserve does to keep prices stable and to combat inflation? Um, so what it does do is that it adjusts interest rates and it controls money supply over time. The Fed Reserve kind of has a goal to keep the inflation rate to a 2%. And this is what it all is geared towards. Yeah, and we saw that, you know, over the past year and a half, two years, where Mm -hmm. the Fed was raising interest rates to combat high prices and inflation, and then they sort of paused raising and just have kept them stable. And now it sort of looks like that they actually might begin lowering interest rates in the future because inflation has slowed down tremendously. So now that we know, you know, what inflation is and the body that handles at the Fed, where do college students come into play here? How exactly is this subset of the population impacted by these two things? Everyone is impacted by inflation, obviously, and everyone is impacted by how the economy works. Um, College students, especially since finances, they're so fragile. Most of us don't really have 
like a stable income with the prices of essential goods rising day to day you're having a hard time affording groceries you're having a hard time affording housing right and then as a college student one of your biggest worry is probably your tuition and your loans with inflation rising your tuition is rising as well the interest rate on your loans is rising as well it's going to be a lot harder for you to pay it off if you're having to spend all of your money on groceries on housing and you don't really have a lot of savings you know not to be a debbie downer but the words economic policy don't scream very fun or exciting to to young people um so i wonder if you could talk a bit about why exactly it is crucial that young people and college students that they pay attention to the federal reserve and just our broader economic landscape i think why we should care about this kind of morphs into this bigger conversation about gen z and our generation not being able to be homeowners in the near future probably not being able to get stable job right off of college even though we are paying so much for college right i think that is the kind of conversation that this morphs into as we graduate we want to make sure that there's a job market that is hiring students that is hiring recent graduates no job prospects means no stable income means that their idea of the american dream of being able to buy a house that idea just seems to get farther and farther away and i think that is why we need to understand the monetary policies right now that is why we need to understand how the fed works and what our future is going to look like because all of these policies affect us being able to have a stable future ahead shreya thank you so much for your time and for just breaking all of this down for us i really appreciate it no problem thank you so much for having me thank you so much for tuning into this week's episode of the hill talks this episode was written edited and produced by me But none of it would have been possible if it wasn't for the hard work of our reporters and editors at the Hilltop. Special thanks to Afia, Jeffrey, and Shreya for joining me today. You can check out their stories and more of our reporting by visiting thehilltoponline.com, where we publish stories on everything from news and politics to what's happening in culture every Monday. Follow us on social media at the Hilltop HU, and if you liked our theme music, it was created by Terry Thomas. I'm going to let the Blackbirds close us out today. So this is where I leave you. Till next time, Bison. Bye.